Ben and Sarah have blessed us greatly with their uh, worship, their teaching, their presence, uh, just being here as a family. And uh, thank you, Aaron, for being here. We love you. He's doing a great job, isn't he? Um, they have a great opportunity to uh, go a little bit further north. Not that anybody would want to go north from here. It's already cold now. Um, it's uh, North Springs Church. They're going to go work with Pastor Edward and Christine Shawa and, uh, you know, serve with them. And we're excited about that. And uh, we want to bless them. And uh, so if there's a couple of you that want to gather real quickly, we're going to lay hands on them, pray, them, pray for them, send them forth. I think a couple are coming. A couple excited people. Yes. <laughs> and if you want the mic, just grab it. Mm. Well, I'll start out. Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift, Lord, of Ben and Sarah and Aaron. Father, we, we just thank you for their precious lives. Lord, the, the song that you've put in their hearts that resonates forth, Lord, Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord, that uh, they are living epistles of your goodness in all that you do. Father, we do bless them as they uh, venture forth here to serve with Edward and Christine. We pray just your abundant blessings and goodness upon them, Lord, that every need will be met, Father, physically, financially, and spiritually, Lord, that they will be filled, overflowing. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> yes, thank you, Lord. And I know the Shawas, and that they are a wonderful couple. Mm-hmm. So we just bless them. We bless uh, each, each the church and Ben and Sarah. That um, there's just a unity there. Mm-hmm. Well, I just also just um, ask that you help them to just lay all their burdens down at your feet. And um, cast all their cares upon you, right. and uh, you will you will um, take care of them. And mm. take one of them is their stress, yes. and you'll just provide for them. And Lord, help them not to worry about anything. And it's your job to, to meet meet all their needs. Thank you, Lord. Mm. You know, you know, Ben, Sarah. One of the cool things about that house is that it's a prophetic house. And you're going to hear the voice of the Lord so much more clearly than you have in the past, and you're going to find how easy it was, and you're going to find out how amazing you hear His voice and release it. Just like the songs, they receive what the Lord has for you and then release it. It's just a life that's just flowing in the Spirit, and it's going to be so natural to you, and we bless you all with that. In Jesus' name. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, we do. Uh, we're excited for you guys. Well, as we're transitioning here, uh, invite Paul to come up and uh, get ready to share with us. Would you like a sure. microphone? You want uh, wireless or? Uh, oh, got wireless. CJ, is that alive? Can it be made alive? We've got a rover here, so. Uh, Go share because I like people as close together as we can. So those of you in the back, 
children here. I want to push you all as close as you can. When we're together, we want to be together. There are seats up in the front. It's just much easier to share together because I want to do some sharing together. And the closer we're together, all things being equal, the happier we are. Unless you get in the fight. testimonies, how did he show his love? Was that a hand? Go ahead. Good deal. Good deal. Okay, but but the the people I see that provide have flesh and blood on, so they and they got smiles on their faces and. Thank you. Who else? Yeah, is that a is that a hand? That that's. Go for it. So we spent the entire day out. You know, started with the 11 o'clock to go meet at the house to go to Dublin, seven leave Dublin, go after the movie. Sure. But we had lunch at Old Country Buffet. And as we're eating and talking, I'm noticing cobblers fixed on Susan, fixed on me. They just won't release them. And this one just began to go to the mother. And I said, do you understand how disturbing your child is? They see purity. They see the kingdom in people, and they love. And I don't know if she's a Christian or not. They know love. And as I'm talking to her, the child is reaching my hand and touching my hand and just talking. And I back away. And the child is turned around watching me, even more so. And she tells me something called Lord is close. She goes, my child does not touch strangers. I said, it's because she's encountering love. And all the while, I'm blessing the child as an adult. You are, you are, you are 
walk in the things of God. You are to walk in the flow of the Spirit. You are to praise your to God most high. As I'm doing this, two more children are locked on us, and it's like, oh my goodness. And their parents are, are, are trying to get me to go over there. And all of a sudden, here's this, I felt like a popper bouncing all over the place, releasing blessings over these Somalians. Mm. Oh, there, there, was, there was no Anglo. It was all, it was, it was awesome. Mm. So you release the love within you, and you've got to know who your identity is. And you can beat yourself up all you want, but that's not what God wants. He wants you to submit to the Holy Spirit and hear him convict you and go, God, I'm sorry for this. That's his job. It is not your job to beat yourself up. It is your job to hear his voice and walk accordingly and release love. Because the kingdom is in there and they want it. Amen. Remember what he just said. That's setting up to a sermon. Go ahead. Real loud. I gave the money, and my mom prayed a blessing over me that I would be blessed because I gave that money. And um, a couple days later, I got, um, I found something I really, really wanted. And um, so my um, mom said that it was probably from God because it's very, it's very rare. I mean, I've never really seen it, kind of. Heaven knew you gave that gift, didn't they? Wow. Wow. That's really special, Hannah. That's wonderful. If you learn, it looks like you obviously have, generosity at a young age, the Lord is going to channel thousands and multiply thousands through you. He will. Any of us that learn generosity, then we discover that, that God's shovel is bigger than our shovel. That's wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, Kathy. What's in what's in Denver? Um, I'm getting a promotion working out there. Okay. Okay. Well let's bless Costa. I was really delighted the last time you were up here and I asked my son Israel, I said, How's Costa doing? He said he's doing about as well as he's ever done. He's doing great in the Lord. He's doing he's he's pressing in. That was so good to hear, Costa. That's wonderful. And Father, we bless him. We bless him that that'll continue that way, that you've made him a warrior, you've made him a, a fighter, a fighter for righteousness, and we bless him as he heads to Denver, that he will continue to uh, be a fighter for the weak and the needy, and that in his own weakness you will be strong in his life as well. In Jesus' holy name. And as we bless Costa, we bless Karen who had knee replacement and at Karen Peters and is really having a, a tough time with the pain. So somebody uh, speak out real loud and uh, pray for Karen. And we want to pray for Jean Goldsby, Lisa's dad. Give us the latest.
Yes, this is a tough one, isn't it? This is a t so let's let's focus our our faith and our prayer now toward our dad, Gene. He's a beloved brother in the Lord and is the assistant to Frank Maserano, uh, director of International Ministerial Fellowship here in the town, here in the cities. Mike, you want to pray for that one? Father, we thank you for Gene. We thank you for this man of God. God, we ask for your mercy and your grace to be upon him right now. God, we ask that every every clot dissolve and to remove from this body and cast into the sea. We ask for a complete restoration. Every brain cell which has been damaged, we ask for a complete miracle. God, mm -hmm. we ask that it, you've done it before. We ask that you do it again. That your hand will be upon this man Yes, we speak life. Remember the words of the angel, for with God nothing, finish it, nothing will be impossible. This is not impossible with God. Full recovery. We see him fully recovered. We see him walking. We see him preaching. We see him hugging his family. Anybody else where you, you saw God's love demonstrated in you, through you, this last week? Real loud. In the past week, um, Andrew Johansson and I went to visit a Somali woman in the hospital for an assisted living. And she, had, I don't know if any of you had saw the photo of that building, in, the apartment building in Minneapolis that burned down during that minus 20 degree weather day a couple weeks ago. She jumped out of her window two or three stories up and broke both her legs when she landed. And like many others in that complex, the same thing. And so we, she's separated from her family who lives in Atlanta. And uh, we got to go visit her. And it, it was an amazing time. She didn't speak that much English. But for a Muslim woman, she was very open. And there was just a joy and a smile about her and how much she received us and how much she wanted our information our contact information, and we just loved her. And it was it was amazing, because I've never, usually the Somali people are very closed, and she I've never seen something like that before. So it was such a blessing to be able to love her, and just to visit her, and be there for her. And so we're just praying that the Lord would open more doors yes. with this woman and others. Yes, Lord. Yeah. I just want to share yeah. a phrase. Oh, go ahead, I interrupted. Go ahead. On Facebook, so I mean, just announcing it to the world that his New Year resolution is to discover how great God's love is for him, mm. and to not walk under all the ways he messed up, but believing that the more and more he discovers how much God loves him, it's gonna. Yeah. <laughs> and he got quite quite a range of reactions. Wow. <laughs> And when is he heading to? It's held up right now because of um, some glitches, so it may be as late as April. So right now he's just camped out in Washington. Okay, we bless our brother Paul Volker.
We bless him with an increase, an upgrade in his revelation of your love for him that affects how he opens up and, and loves even more. We thank you for the love that he has shown to us here, and we see that expanding in the days and weeks ahead. And as he prepares to go again to the Middle East, that you will give him safety and courage to do what you've called him to do there. And Lord, I just wanted to say thank you that my grandchildren didn't have proof. They had fevers, and they, and the, uh, we were concerned, and uh, they, they don't. But the little one, Nora, has a, a terrible rash, uh, eczema or something like that. But nothing was too difficult. It was just said, <laughs> Father, for you. And, mm -hmm. the, and the super serenades children, too, who have colds and, and are coughing and, and sick and ear, earaches. Lord, you care about all, all the yes, you little, do. actually, for moms and dads, they're big things. <laughs> and so, thank you, Father. We trust you. We look to you for your healing. I saw a hand in the back. Was that Stevens? Yes. Hi, Stephen. Yes, sir. You have a testimony of God's love? Yeah, it's about my mom. Okay. Yeah, she, um, for the second time now, she's been praying over the phone. And, uh, <coughs> Wonderful. Uh, Good deal. Okay, transition. Kids, want to ask you a question? You you've uh, played on sports teams. What's your favorite sport? Pardon? Gymnastics. Okay, anybody else want to give a favorite story? Ethan, what's your favorite sport? Basketball. Basketball? Okay, Moses. Soccer. Okay, let me ask you a question. Does it make a difference what kind of coach you have, or are all coaches the same? Does it make a difference? Little difference, big difference, big difference. Coaches make a difference. Would, uh, Ethan, would you think you'd ever play basketball for a coach who said, okay, Get out there and play mediocre. Play, <laughs> go out there and play average. Play average. I want to see average. I want you to do really average now. And if you do, we, we might actually win, you know, two out of ten games. Would that be fun to play for that coach? You wouldn't want to play for that coach, would you? If you want to know if a coach makes a difference, look at, look at John Wooden's record. He... <laughs> He, he won, you know, if a coach wins one national championship, they get an upgrade in their salary. You can be sure of that. And they're, they're making big money because they win a national championship, the best team in college. So how many did John Wooden win? He won 10. It's unheard of. It's just way, way off the charts. The possibility of 10. A coach makes a difference. Ten of them, uh, seven of them were in a row. That's a, that's a coach. Okay, I want to I want to say something, and then I I want you. Uh, I can't I can't hear what you're going to think, but I'm going to say something, and I want you to think about it, and <coughs> I'm going to ask you what you're thinking. I'm going to ask you to say it with me. I'm going to say it, and I want you to say it. I am dead to sin. Say it. I'm dead to sin. Okay, now tell me what you're thinking. So why do I keep on sinning? <laughs> okay, why do I keep on sinning? Anybody else? What what do you Okay, good. Okay. Keep coming. What are you thinking? I am dead to sin. Do you have difficulty saying it and believing it? Or is it or is it natural with you? 
truth. Why might it be hard? I'm going I'm to tell you why, why it's absolutely true. Why might that be hard for us to say and believe? If we, are, if we are looking at our experience to prove the validity of that statement, we got plenty to prove that it's wrong, right? So if we want to look at our uh, evidence, say, wait a minute, I just worried about something 10 minutes ago. I am not dead to sin. Then why does the scripture teach it and say it is absolutely because there are truth in the scripture. What you believe is what you will behave. What you know to be true because God says it's true. If God says something, it's true, it's true. And God says you're dead to sin. And we're going to look at that in a minute. God says you are dead to sin. Now, if you believe that, you will incrementally, incrementally live the reality of it in your life. If, however, you say, yeah, but it's not really true, you, you can be a prophet if you want. You just, you just talked yourself out of the truth of the Word of God, and you're saying, of course it's not true, because I struggle with, with anger, I struggle with lust, or I struggle with this, and I'm proving it wrong, so it must not be true. I'd like to divest you of that kind of thinking in this area and in other areas, but particularly in this area, and we'll look at some scriptures so that you can say that and have no rattling going on inside of your heart. That you can say, I am dead to sin. You say, I know it and I rejoice in it, and that's the way I live. Because it's impossible. Kevin McClure said this once when he was here. It's impossible to live outside of the way that you view yourself to be. If you view yourself to be dead to sin, then that is how you will live. Now, you won't snap into perfection immediately. The, the Bible says we all, as we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed from what? Glory to glory. So, when we see Jesus, we'll be ultimately transformed, which says to me, there's only one perfect person who has never sinned, and that is Jesus, but when we see him, we will be transformed, but now we are being transformed, we see him as in a mirror. We don't see him clearly as we will then. We, it will be such a perfect look that we will be transformed and we will be perfect. But now, as we believe that truth, we are changed from one degree of glory into another. There's a difference between truth of position and truth of condition. The truth of position says what God says is true, and then it becomes true in my condition as I believe that position. I am dead to sin. I want to look at a couple other places, and then we'll look at Romans chapter 6. Listen to Jesus say to a woman who is not condemning, just released her from being stoned to death, and he says, neither do I condemn you. Then what does he say to her? How uncaring can you get? Or what he just said to her was an invitation to a life free from sin. A command from God is an invitation. Go and sin no more. And she receives that, she says, okay, if you say it, I'll do it, and by your grace, I will do it. That was an invitation for her to be freed from the tyranny that sin had played on her heart and mind and body for X number of years. He was calling her to a new place, and he said, don't sin. He said to a man that he healed of 38 years of paralysis. He went and found him. He'd been kicked out. Now uh, Jesus finds him. And what does he say to him? That's before he healed him. Then he healed him. You got, you got the full story. I only got the part of it. He said, 
stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. He saw the impact of sin on his life. And that may sound like a brutal command, but that was an invitation to live a different kind of a life. Got your Bibles turned to 1 John chapter 2. Here is John who'd walk with Jesus perhaps as a teenager. Now he's about between 80 and 90 years old. And he's telling us why he's writing this book. I hope that if you're not living here, that by the end of our talking and discussing together, that you will live in the freedom of someone who, who believes it and knows it's true in your life. I am dead to sin. Bibles? There's some Bibles back in there. Will, will some of you grab some Bibles and just pass them out? Here, John is going to tell us why he's writing. My dear children, chapter 2, verse 1, I write this to you. Somebody read the rest of it. Okay, why is he, why is he writing this letter? Did you hear what he's, why he's writing this? He's writing this so we will not sin. When I began to talk about, about victory over sin in my congregation, kind, dear people said, you're not talking about sinless perfection, are you? As if they were, they were worried that I may get off on doctrine. I said, I'm just teaching the scriptures. Why is he writing this? So we won't sin. Is that possible? Okay, John, I'm listening. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You, you read the book of John, and this guy's black and white. There's no gray area for him. And he, he says a, a disobedient Christian is an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. And he is writing this so that we can come to the place where we can say, sin does not have the upper hand in my life. Jesus has the upper hand. Grace has the upper hand. I am not giving in to sin. And once you get that outlook, you find it's true. You walk. And then when you encounter something that throws you, what do you do about it? You know, you can regret that for the next two days if you want to. You can beat yourself up, just like Mike was talking about. You can beat yourself up as if the cross wasn't enough, so you need to punish yourself. It's easy to do. I used to know how to do that really well. Anybody else know how to do that? Beat yourself up as if you're atoning. Who are you? You're the crucified one, so you're going you're gonna to punish yourself by a sense of regret. Oh, I shouldn't have done it. And you get this sin consciousness and you wipe yourself out as if Jesus didn't suffer enough, so you must suffer a little more. Doesn't, doesn't work. You want to quickly, quickly deal with it. That's the real purpose of an accountability partner. It's not essentially to hold you accountable like a police. It is not. It is to lift the shame immediately, whether that's 3 o'clock in the morning or during the day, so that you can get on with the victorious Christian life that God's called you to. It's not about, oh, I can't believe you did that, brother. I can't believe you're such an idiot. Yeah, I really am. And so the focus turns toward you, and you forget about your Christ consciousness and the fact that you are called to live on top of sin. You're not a conqueror. You're, you're, more. you're more. You're not a winner. You're more than a winner. Scripture dale, dares to call us those kinds of things. And is it making too much of us? No, it's making a lot of the cross. It's impossible to overemphasize the power of the cross. And as a Lutheran, as a Lutheran pastor in a Lutheran congregation among Lutherans, here's what we did. We over, you can't overemphasize forgiveness, but we emphasized the, the power of forgiveness and did not emphasize the power of transformation. Grace not only 
forgives us. Grace empowers us. And where you find the word grace in Scripture, you often find the word power. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And if I can let that settle in, but if we do, we have an advocate with the Father. That's where we spend all our time. We didn't spend our time on the first part. I write this to you so that you might sin. Hey, I'll take that. And you know why we didn't? Because of a phrase that we learned in seminary, and I heard this phrase probably more than any other phrase. You know what I'm saying, Ben? What was the phrase that I learned at Lutheran Seminary? What? Did you hear his Latin? <laughs> Simul justus, I-J-U-S-T-U-S, et peccator. Both a saint and a sinner at the same time. Now you know why we're schizophrenic <laughs> in the Lutheran church. And that was, that was preached, and Luther said it, and I, there's a reason for it, because... It's possible for us to begin pretending that things are better than they really are. And John knew that, so before he says in 1 John chapter 2, I write this to you that you may not sin, he said, if we say three times, because here are the pretenders. You want to look, if you're not good, at least you're going to look good, right? You know, you're going to look good so that you don't have to say what you really are, or what you're really sinning. So... He answers that question of deception. says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So he's not just talking about this easy, sinless perfectionism. He's talking about bearing down on the cross of Jesus Christ and realizing that, that Jesus at the cross decimated the power of sin, took, his, took it into his own body, destroyed Satan, neutralized him. So this is a wrap-up campaign. It's simply wrapping up what Jesus did at the cross is what we're up to now. And sin cannot overcome us if we simply believe that what it says is true. So let's look at Romans chapter 6. Aren't you glad you're not playing for a coach that says, go out and live mediocre. Go out and do the best you can, realizing you probably won't do a lot. He's saying, go out and live perfect. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He's calling us to a standard that's way, so way above us. And then he's making it possible by dying on the cross. And it says in Romans chapter 6 that when Jesus died, who else died? Now, we don't think that way. We don't think corporately like the Jewish, the Hebrew people think. But as an Adam, all sin. He, he sinned, so we sin. Jesus died, that is my death. In baptism, it pictures that and it accomplishes it. Baptism is a dying. And it's, it's literal truth. But it's not true in the way I know death. Because when I think of death, I think of somebody in a casket. They're not breathing. That's it for them. We don't see them anymore. And so because we think of that, in that sense, it may be hard for us to adjust our thinking. No, I'm thinking in a biblical, true sense because God said it. So shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He says it as strong as he can in the Greek language. Absolutely not. It's meganata. No, certainly not. By no means. We died to sin. Say we died to sin. It's in the book. He's going to say it four more times. That we, we are dead to sin. We have died to sin. Now, either that's true, my friends, or it's not. Either, either we died to sin so that sin cannot control us anymore. Fear cannot handle us. Worry cannot dispose of us. It can't get us. Simply by faith. And this is the victory. Uh, John will go on to say, this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. So if you see that, you say, I'm going to believe that. 
I'm, I'm going to go ahead and believe that. Then it will, it will find expression in the way you live. But if you say, I just can't seem to get victory over this. This is terrible. I can't get victory. Why can't I get victory? God, I can't get victory over this. Okay. If that's your testimony, that's your testimony. I don't want that to be my testimony because this is my testimony. We died to sin. Who died? Paul. Paul did I. Martin Luther took this so seriously when a guy came and knocked on his door. He said, is Martin Luther here? I'm looking for Martin Luther. He said, no, he's, he's not here anymore. He died. Christ is here. I want to take it that seriously. I want to live in that reality. You get tempted, and you say, no, I'm, I'm dead to that. Yeah. In that, in that connection? Wow. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. How can we live in it any longer? See, he's... Paul is not saying that sin won't happen. He's, he's taken away the inevitability of sin. That's his really good news. In our church, we used to, and some still do, confess every week, I'm in bondage to sin. I would never want to confess that. I am not in bondage to sin. I've been released from the power of sin. I am dead to sin. I want to confess what the Word of God confesses. And if I'm, if, if I'm confessing I'm in bondage to sin, I really am a schizophrenic. I don't know whether I'm a sinner or a saint. Paul was speaking of his life before when he says, I'm the worst sinner because I persecuted the church. I did that before he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And even the Corinthians were called saints. They didn't look saintly. They did a lot of things that showed they weren't very saintly. But he was saying, this is who you are, talking about identity. This is who you are, young person. This is who you are, grown-up person. You are dead to sin, and you are alive to God in Jesus Christ. And that is who you are. That is your identity. It is true in heaven, and it can be true in your experience. Or do you not know? He says three no's here. No, no, no. Do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism. You bury people that aren't dead? Pretty weird if you do. Pretty grotesque. You don't bury people that are alive. You bury dead people. Baptism is burial. Death and burial. I think I've told some of you this story. There's this, uh, when we went to the chapel at North Heights for the funeral service of Don Schmidt. Dear brother, he and uh, his wife served communion the Holy Spirit Conference every year for many years and Don went to be with the Lord and Bob Cottingham was pinning him with, uh, with a, a deacon of honor pin because of his service and he put it on right in the casket just pinned, pinned him and one of my daughters said this was quite a few years ago when my daughters said that wouldn't hurt Daddy, if the pin stuck him, would it? And I said, it wouldn't hurt if he stuck him. Wouldn't hurt if Bob told me he didn't like the suit he was wearing. It wouldn't have bothered him. Because dead men don't respond. Are you a dead man? You a dead man for us? Huh? You're living in Christ. Okay. Are you dead to sin? Good. I thought so. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ Jesus was raised again through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. That newness of life is a life free from the power of sin. If we've been united with him in his death, which... He just said we were. We will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. For we know, there's a second we know. What do we know? Our old self, 
the old Robin Savage, we know that the old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with and we might no longer be slaves to sin. Every sentence he's telling us this is true. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. That's worth saying thank you, God. Worth saying amen. Worth saying hallelujah. I want you to take a moment. I'll finish up when you come back. I want you to take a moment, one other person, and say, I believe that truth, but there is something here that I struggle with that makes it more difficult. And share that and pray for one another. And just take a couple minutes, and then come back together again. What, 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 what comes against this truth? and makes it harder for you to believe it. Just share with somebody that you like. Go ahead, turn around. You have to like them, otherwise you're not going to tell them. Okay, I'm going to finish up, and then we'll have a small group. Then we'll go have a, have a great lunch. I do not want to excuse sin in my life. If I take sin seriously, I'm not excusing it. I want to eradicate it. I don't want to excuse it. I don't want to make excuses. I don't want to lighten worry or anxiety, or fear, or, or you name it, whatever you're struggling with. I don't want to lighten that. That's what I'm not doing at all. I'm not lightening the impact of sin. I'm increasing the impact of sin, but I'm, I'm far more increasing the power of the cross and saying that grace not only deals with the area of the penalty of sin, but it deals with the power of sin, so it overcomes it. That's where I want to be. I want to live in that reality. I want to live believing what the scripture says so that I can become what I'm reading and believing. And what do I, what do I hear? The death he died, he died to sin once for all. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin. That word count, is a word from which we get the word logic, logizomai. It means to reckon it. It means to consider it true because it is true. Count, consider, count yourself dead to sin. Do it right now. I count myself. I consider myself. I'm a, I want to believe the scripture. I want to obey the scripture. Dead to sin and alive to God. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Don't let it reign. Don't give it a place. Don't give it a moment. Don't give it a thought. Resist that thought. Don't take it in like a stray cat. You resist it. You push it out. Because it doesn't belong to you. It's not who you are. That's not your identity. And the more you accept your identity in Christ, the more you see when those thoughts come in. Say, this is a foreign thought. This is an alien thought. I refuse to accept that. I refuse to think that way. This is not who I am. Satan will throw his darts. He can't read our mind, but he can throw thoughts. And when he does, then we say no. And we resist it with firmness. Because we know it's not who we are. Therefore, do not let sin reign. Don't let it reign in your mortal bodies so that you may obey its evil desires. I'm sad for Christians who let sin reign in their bodies. Do not offer the parts of your bodies to sin as instruments of wickedness. But rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. I give you my hands. I give you my mind. I give you my legs. I give you my heart. You've got them. Now here's the, here's the clincher. We're going to close with this. For sin shall not be your master. Because you are not under law but under grace. Where grace reigns, 
sin loses big. So, Father, we refuse to believe that we are sinners. We are not sinners and saints. We are saints. We're justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are righteous in Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's who you are. That we might become. He took it. He took it all. He took every sin we've ever committed, past, present, future. He took it on the cross. He died for it. He paid for it. We don't have to pay for it. We do have to confess it as we see it. And then deal with it. Run from it. Say no to it. I think in one, one instance where one of my sons said something a little quick to me, and it hurt, he came back in about a half hour later, and he said, Dad, I'm sorry for what I said. What did I say? I forgive you. That was it. Never thought about it again. That was it. It was done. There was nothing. He, had, he didn't have to whine. Didn't have to say it twice, two times. Didn't have to say it three times. It was done. It was finished because of a father who loves to forgive his kids. And you have a father who loves to kids. He doesn't want you to think about it for another moment. Well, this was serious. I stole something. Okay. Confess it. It is done. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us. Not only forgive us, but then he just does a clean sweep. He does an overhaul. Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Just, okay, I'm going to take the things he didn't confess. We're just going to get rid of the whole thing. Confess you from, uh, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I bless you. I bless you that your image of who you are is assimilated into the image you're given in the Word of God especially Romans chapter 6. I did a paper on this at seminary before I understood it. I wish I understood it then. I wrote a good paper on it. <laughs> now I get it. Now I understand. Now I'm living the reality. And I'd rather live the reality than write a paper about it. I want to experience, I want you to experience this. I bless you with living in the freedom from sin's dominion over your life. Okay, small groups for just a few minutes, and then we're going to run upstairs and we're going to have a lunch. Just take about five minutes, groups of two or three, and just uh, affirm the truth. You, you, you affirmed what wasn't true, what you're struggling with. Now affirm the truth and say it to one another, and then we'll head upstairs for a good lunch. <laughs>